0: We have been hacked.
1: (laughs) Do you think we should send him a message? Roll roll
0: that again, will you please?
1: (laughs) Hello, Not that part. (laughs) Why not?
0: Yeah, this part. Now that's more like it. I don't
1: know. I think we should do the R-51, Roger Williams and R-51. That
0: guy is really getting out of hand. <laughs> some of you know that that's an android that was mm-hmm. invented to stay in R-51, I mean in Area 51, right. and then some of you signed that petition to get him out, <laughs> <coughs> and since then we have no idea where he is. He's out of control, and now he's interrupting our program.
1: Don't you think we should send him a message?
0: Yes, send him a message.
1: I think we should tell him that he should come back home because we're, <laughs> we're missing him.
0: We're missing him?
1: We're missing him.
0: We're missing him.
1: Yeah.
0: I'm not sure.
1: You don't think so?
0: Do we want him back? <laughs> so uh, he's just a copy.
1: Yes. I'm a waiting
0: copy. for R52 to come out.
1: Are you working on it?
0: So you want him back, huh? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, well, we did have a sighting this week. Do you want to see that before you decide for sure?
2: (laughs) Yeah, let's do that. All right,
0: this is the sighting. Guess what? I found the ocean. the ocean is for swimming
1: so I went swimming in the ocean I got sand in my boots not so funny not not so pleasant you know what I mean and I walk up the beach all the way up that way to the very very end of the beach I went Clear up there until I ran out of beach. Then I turn around and I walk clear down there until I ran out of beach. I was studying the beach. And all the nice people that came up to me said, Hey, 51, they're looking for you. And they'll never find me. You know why? to never find 51 because I'm always on the (laughs) move. But when I went up there and I went down there, up and down the beach, I met a lot of nice people. But the beach just hadn't got page. I looked, she's not there, she's not there. She was supposed to meet me here. I sent her a message. Well, I didn't exactly send it. I used my finger to write it in the sand, and the ocean came up and got it, and is taking it to her. I guess she just didn't want to see me anymore. Well, I guess I do. (laughs) Look like he was real.
0: It's it's actually probably a good thing that you decided to uh, welcome him back. you invite I, him back.
1: I invite him back. Yeah, oh. I think we're, we're missing
0: him. Oh, here she is. How are you doing, Christina? Good. What's this? Express smell, science life.
1: Please do not crush or bend.
0: <laughs> what is it? I
1: don't
0: know. I'll bet. You have know that.
1: Return our fifty one send in yes, fifty one design petition.
0: So now he's doing another petition.
1: (laughs) To return him?
0: Return (laughs) R-51. Okay, so what are we supposed to do? If they agree with you and want him back, they have to message Science Live and tell us.
1: Okay. Yes,
0: Yes, 51. 51. Yes, 51.
1: Okay, we'll be watching.
0: Are you sure about this?
1: Yes, he needs to come home.
0: For you parents that think this thing's gone off the rails,
1: <laughs>
0: we're, we're going to back up just a little bit, you know, and, and we do have some new students this week, so I'll just tell you, the, here's the deal about 51. A few months ago, a lot of students became quite concerned because they were hearing how artificial intelligence is going to change the whole world, is going to put them out of jobs and take over and won't even need people. Right. And so in an effort to show them how AI is really very clever looking computer programs that copy our ideas, we invented a clone. Now, truth be known, there is an Area 51 next to my office. It's my dilly dilly area.
1: And, <laughs> do area and
0: I do experiments there. A lot of very fascinating things have been invented in Area 51 and everyone ought to have one. Remember the original Area 51's in Nevada and that's where they took the flying saucers, some say, and they... <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me, just a minute. Page wants to do a performance.
1: <laughs> now we have comments coming in, says... Yes, free refi-
0: feet. Change the what?
1: They <laughs> <laughs> can see me. <laughs> okay, but anyway,
0: so this was an idea to kind of communicate to our students that uh, we can handle AI because we're creating it, and we need to be careful. It's powerful, right. and now we put AI in the writing tutor so that a lot of you are are actually using it in a, in, in your sales courses and find out it could do some neat things. Mm-hmm. But this guy has really. You know, there's something wrong with him, and he came out with that petition late last year, and a lot of you signed it. So he got out, and he's been running all over, and we lost track. Yeah. So now he wants to come back, probably because he thinks you got his message in the sand.
1: Yeah, he was, liked. Wasn't me that still.
0: tender? It was, it was kind of sentimental. He wrote a heart <laughs> in the sand, and then he let the ocean take it to you.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> I didn't get
0: that. You see how that works? You figured that I didn't out? Know. Mm-hmm. No, I didn't. All get right, it. we have one other business item, then we'll get down to business. Okay. Okay, and that is um, this week, and it's the Super Bowl. <laughs> and you are tuned in to ground zero, Kansas City, right?
1: That's right.
0: And so, it would only be appropriate if we told a Super Bowl story, right?
1: Well, you have one?
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Everybody in Kansas City has a Super Bowl story, right? <laughs>
1: All right, so
0: you see, <clears throat> there was a Super Bowl the Chiefs were playing in.
1: Okay.
0: I know that's getting to be a very common story, but you no, know, <laughs> it was in the Super Bowl. One of the Chiefs was playing, and this guy, he uh, didn't have a ticket, and so he thought, If you don't have a ticket, you can't go in. You have to climb the fence. So he climbed the fence, but all the seats were full. And he went up and down the bleachers looking for a place to sit. And finally, right right on the 50-yard line, just the perfect height to see the game, best seats in the house, there was an empty seat. (laughs) So he went over, and and there was a guy sitting there. He said, "Uh, is it okay with you if I sit here? The guy said, yeah, go ahead. He says, I can't believe, this is probably the best seat in the house. I can't believe that it's empty. I mean, who wouldn't, uh, wouldn't want to use the seat? And the guy says, well, actually, that seat was my wife's. Well, where's your wife? I said, well, sadly, she passed away. And he said, oh, I'm sorry. But certainly, you could have found someone that would want to come to the game and sit in this wonderful seat. And he says, well... All the people I know said they'd rather go to her funeral.
1: <laughs>
0: That's why they call it the Super Bowl, huh? You get it? Okay. Well, Listen,
1: I
3: did not see that coming. You know, there
0: you go, kids. <laughs> now, now it's time to get serious, okay? We're here at Science Live because we love lively science. It inspires us. It gets us excited about things we can do. It makes us want to study hard, which is secret goal number one. Okay, But it also gives us ideas. And lately, a lot of people are thinking about the science fair and things they're going to do. I I have kind of an important message today, and I think you're going to enjoy it. But go back to... The beginning of our mentoring change. Remember, I'm mentoring you. I was mentored by Bill Lear, the father of the Learjet. He was mentored by Thomas Edison. So let's go back to Thomas Edison for a minute. Everybody knows Thomas Edison invented the light bulb. There were light bulbs around, though. Mm-hmm. The thing was just think, you're living in a in a nice little apartment in New York City, someone knocks on the door and says, hi, would you like to buy a light bulb? And you look at it and say, yeah, how much? Five cents, okay. You buy it. What do you do with it? You don't have any electricity. You don't have place to screw it in because no one had electricity. And that's the problem with the light bulb. The light bulb was worthless unless you had Electricity and a generator and wires and a distribution system. And that brings up the concept of systems engineering. That's where you don't just find a light bulb idea. It'd be neat to have a light bulb, but unless you have all the other pieces, it's worthless. And Edison was the guy that figured that out. So he made a big announcement. He said, I am going to free Lower Manhattan one square mile from darkness. And he dug up the streets. He run wires under the streets, buried them back down. He built, invented, and built generators to generate the electricity, so that he would have a complete working system. Then everybody wanted the light bulb That's right. because. Now they could see what to do with it. A lot of times, inventing is about taking new breakthroughs, like the light bulb was a new breakthrough, and figuring out how to put it into a whole system so you can use the technology and do something. Well, one of the uh, people that Thomas Edison mentored was our own Bill Lear. Now, Bill Lear learned a lot when he was mentoring under Edison. But one of the things that he learned is that to really succeed with a project, you can't come up with a real neat little widget. What good is a pen if you have no place to write? (laughs) (laughs) You have to figure out a complete system, and Bill Lear did that. Now, Bill Lear told me that he only officially mentored one person.
1: Yeah,
0: (laughs) And can you imagine someone like Bill Lear mentoring you? He kind of found me just finishing up at the university. And he was there with the vice president of research going around all of the different people that were graduating. And he chose me to be the person he mentored. And he actually, a week later after I met him, picked me up in his Learjet, took me home. And let me move right into his home with him. That was a really amazing experience, wasn't it? So, Bill Lear changed my life. And he changed my life by the things he taught me how to do. And all of you have heard about Bill Lear, the wonderful Learjet that is named after him that he developed. But I thought today it would be really exciting if we could actually meet Mr. Lear and experience what his adventure in life was like. So I found this little video clip which I would like to share with you. So here we go. Who is Bill Lear? That was Bungalow Way by the Explorers at 29 minutes past four o'clock in the afternoon on Wichita's number one station for rock and roll, 1240 K-A-K-E. It's 63 degrees out at Wichita's Mid-Continent Airport, where there's a report that the new Learjet we've all been hearing about has actually taken off in the past half hour on its
4: first ever test flight. It's expected to return before dark, which is about an hour from now. That might be something worth seeing. In other news, President Kennedy announced today at his weekly press conference... On the evening of October 7, 1963, there was a traffic jam in Wichita on, of all places, the stretch of K-42 between Hoover and Tyler Roads at the south end of Mid-Continent Airport. More than 100 cars were pulled off to the side of the road. Their headlights were visible from the runways and from the Learjet plant at the north end of the field. They were also visible from 5,000 feet in the air and two miles to the south where the first Learjet, a Model 23, was making its approach. According to the pilots of that new jet aircraft, it was a sight to behold. Headlights literally marking the Learjet's way back to the ground at the end of its very first flight. It was also the beginning of an era and an industry, business aviation, that has now reached its 40th year. I'm Roger Cornish, and this is the story of that historic flight. The man who put his fortune on the line to make it happen and the airplane that became the epitome of business aircraft performance and a household word in the process. Recently, a group of original Learjet employees, men who remember Bill Lear, the birth of the Learjet, and business aviation, gathered to reminisce about those early days. Bill Lear was born in Hannibal, Missouri, a year before the Wright brothers first flew. He moved to Chicago as a boy and grew up there. A precocious youngster with a bent for technical things, he earned an early reputation for ingenuity and a disdain for boring schoolwork. Quitting school in the 8th grade, he set out to be an innovator and inventor. By his early 20s, he had developed the first practical car radio, a Victrola for the motor vehicle, or Motorola. He began amassing his first fortune when he sold the rights to the device to the company that still bears that name. Moving on to the fledgling aviation industry, Bill applied his creative talents to enhancing navigation. The self-taught engineer eventually designed and built the Lyroscope, the first automatic direction finder and first practical autopilot. By the time he was in his 30s, he was a well-known force in aviation. In 1954, he won the prestigious Collier Trophy for inventing the F-86 autopilot. By the mid-50s, Bill Lear held a number of patents for sophisticated electronic devices and was the CEO of Lear Siegler Inc.
5: He was uh, the chairman of the board of Lear Incorporated. It uh, merged finally with Siegler, Lear Siegler Incorporated, and uh, he had invented several uh, actuators and autopilots and so forth. He uh, had received the Collier Trophy for the F-86 autopilot.
4: Even as his focus turned to building a business jet, he continued to develop new ideas, including the 8-track car stereo. But the high-performance business jet that would eventually bear his name was on his mind, even before he developed the 8-track. He began by surrounding himself with people who could help him make his dream a reality. Among them was well-known pilot and entrepreneur Clay Lacey.
2: I have a speech somewhere, I haven't seen it for a while, that Bill Lear gave in 1959 in Wichita to the uh, Society of Automotive Engineers. And anyway, he uh, told the people in Wichita what uh, they should build. The jet airliners were coming along in 1959, 707s and DC-8s. And in this speech, Bill described this Learjet, Learjet 23, and uh, what it should do. And he said, I'm giving you guys three years, I believe it was, to build it. If you haven't started on it in three years, I'm going to build it. And um, that was an absolute true statement. He did it. They didn't start on it,
4: and he built it. Another key player in the history of the Learjet, even before it was designed, was a military test pilot by the name of Hank Beard. I heard he was
5: going to build, he was talking about building, rumors he was going to build this Learjet. And I just finished the spin test on the F-105 and I finished that program. So I wanted to get in on the early design and the flight of this one
4: of course in the late 50s creating a business jet from scratch would obviously require a lot of experienced designers and significant sums of money thanks to his inventive genius bill had some money and fortunately for him in switzerland he was able to find some readily available engineering expertise and a platform upon which to base the design of his airplane under the direction of respected swiss designer dr hans studer he began to build a team
6: dr studer uh, was designing the uh, P16 over at uh, FFA and it uh, had almost an identical wing to the Learjet, the one we used. In the meantime, Bill was down in Geneva designing a, a Learjet down there. with, his... <laughs> And so he found out about what Dr. Studer was doing and he said, Dr. Studer, I want you, since you designed that and they're not going to build it. I want you to take what you can off of that airplane and design me a hot rod Learjet. And since the wing was almost identical, uh, we, we, used the, we used all of that wind tunnel analysis for, that's all we had. We would have never had any money to run a wind tunnel test, so thank goodness uh, we were able to use that data.
5: We first got over to uh, Switzerland, uh, the P-16 was just being canceled and all these engineers, just like Wichita, had nothing to do. So Bill found these engineers at half price, like he said. He he had an eye for that. And that's why we started designing it there.
4: With Dr. Studer acting as chief designer, Bill Lear went about the task of picking off some of the industry's best talent to fill out his team. He hired Hank Waring from rival Cessna and Gordon Israel from Saberliner as well. If offering them the title of chief engineer was required to lure them away from their previous positions, Bill didn't hesitate. By the time Don Gromish, who would eventually hold the chief engineer's title himself, joined the company, the organizational
6: chart was getting a little confusing. Uh, I've heard it described as an octopus. (laughs) Here was Bill Lear and he had these chief engineers and and you you didn't know who you were supposed to take orders from. Leading this
4: diverse group, Bill Lear, the avionics genius, aircraft modifier, and intrepid pilot succeeded the way he always did by the sheer force of his will, and flying by the seat of his pants. I remember we were going up to Waldenburg, Switzerland to look at
5: uh, uh, this watch company to make the landing gear, and it had this little 3,000 foot uh, clover strip, and we had that Beach 18 you were talking about. Then when we were going out, uh, Gordon Israel was the chief engineer at that time, and he got in the back with two other big guys, and here we are with a full load of an airplane, and we got uh, of alfalfa to take off in, so I it, he was taxiing out, and I finished the taxi and put the tail right up against the fence on one end, and I held the brakes until he got as much power as the tail started coming up off the ground, and we started rolling, and we got down pretty close to the other end, and it was kind of bumping along, trying to get the flying, in the beach is kind of like a Lear Star. you don't use much flaps on takeoff so I eased down about five degrees and it finally came into the air on a bump just before we got to the fence on the other end and it got in the air enough to get the gear up so I pulled it up and Gordon was so mad he came up front and he said Bill, he said you should have been in the back of this airplane. I said it scared the holy hell out of me <laughs> and Bill turned around and said you should have been up here.
4: <laughs> With a Swiss design and an eclectic group of engineers from both Europe and the U.S. Bill eventually began searching for a place to build his corporate jet. Wichita, Kansas, the self-proclaimed air capital of the world mounted an aggressive campaign to become the home of the new aircraft. But even as the hotbed of aviation manufacturing was making its bid to attract Learjet, many members of its aviation community were not so certain. Skeptics were legion. All over town, experts at competitors Cessna and Beech aircraft made no qualms about their doubts that the Learjet would ever fly. Some, however, didn't see it that way and were willing to take a chance on being a part of history.
3: I was with Beech, so I was across town sort of being one of the many skeptics that some of these guys had to encounter. But I think clearly he came here because this was where the labor market was. Exactly. He could he could attract great engineers, great manufacturing people, great pilots, great finance people. And he simply came here and took part of the best that was their offer in, in Wichita. And I remember sitting at Beach uh, one by one, my colleagues would come over to Learjet and almost every month there would be a, a goodbye party for somebody and it came to be known as uh, uh, we were the Italian boatmen, the gondoliers. And, uh, if you weren't working in this plant, you were probably a skeptic. And, and the general consensus was the airplane will never be built. If it was built, it'll never fly. If it flies, it'll never be certified. If it's certified, it'll never get delivered. And of course, all of these things happen. And one by one, the, the dissent and the skepticism just melted away through performance.
4: With his Italian boatmen and his band of international engineers, Bill Lear began piecing together an extraordinary airplane on the plains of Kansas.
6: Well, I think we were pretty confident the airplane would fly. Uh, the only biggest problem we had was uh, time. Uh, the airplane, the airplane, obviously, uh, when we brought it over here, it didn't have any systems in it, and. Most of the systems were not even designed when uh, when the f- first flight was, was going to take place. Uh, all I had to go on was the aerodynamics uh, that we had from the P-16, and, and we had about two weeks to, to test the whole airplane and decide whether or not it was going to be airworthy. Bob Hagen
4: and Hank Beard drew the assignment of piloting it on its first flight. Though an experienced military jet pilot, Hagen had been focusing on manufacturing while working at Learjet. Beard was working elsewhere, having grown weary of waiting for Bill Lear to actually build the airplane he'd been raving about. It. As a result, both were blissfully unaware of how much they didn't know.
7: Well, I'd have thought a lot more if I'd known what Don was saying. <laughs> yeah, if I'd have known all this. <laughs> if I'd known all this structural
5: stuff, I. I don't know. would still nervous. be sitting on the ground, possibly. <laughs> he called me up one day, and I heard the engines running. He opened the door so I could hear him, And uh, he said, Hank, uh, we're getting ready to fly this thing. And so I said, let me speak to June. June was a secretary, very much like Sylvia. June to tell you the truth. I said, now, June, uh, is the boss back in his office near our side? She says, yes. I said, tell me. Is that airplane ready to fly? She said, it's running. From the first time he showed it to me on his boardroom table, I had no doubts about the airplane, whatever. Uh, the eight spars in the wing. God, I've never flown an airplane with eight spars in the wing. Even 747s don't even have it. Mm-hmm. And five spars in the tail. What do you want for structure? Uh, what Hank was saying, uh, eight spars, the way this
2: thing's built, it's built like a tank compared to other airplanes. And compared to airliners, which are only designed to two and a half Gs, uh, this airplane, when he tested the wing out here, static down, what, didn't it go up to like 13 and a half Gs or something before it broke?
4: Never one to be accused of a hands-off management style, Lear got involved in virtually every aspect of the aircraft's development.
6: He'd be out there on the, going around every drawing table, and you've probably have seen pictures, uh, I've got one classic where all the guys are laying over their table and Bill's going around and they don't want him to see what the heck they're <laughs> doing for fear he's gonna sit there and change something because at night, when all these guys would go home, he was around and they had these pretty drawings they worked real hard on and he'd mark them up with a pencil. <laughs> you'd come in the next morning and there's all this writing on your blackboard and with this WPL signed on it. And, you know, and you look at it and you try to figure out what in the world where the guy was trying to tell you. But, you know, in essence, the guy really had a lot of good concepts and, and you'd look at it, he'd give you the concept, and he was expecting you to take that concept and put it on a piece of paper and make it work.
4: Making it work became an obsession for everyone because it was imperative that the radical new jet aircraft prove itself in the air as soon as possible. By the afternoon of October 7th, they knew they were close.
7: We didn't know we were going to fly that day. day,
5: (laughs) We didn't need to fly that day.
7: Uh, (laughs) It was dark. So uh, Hank and I climbed in and Taxied out to runway 14, I yep. believe it was. And he went one way and I went the other way, and that was the taxi run. We brought it back and said we're ready to go, so they fueled it up. And I took it off, and I think it was 120 we were supposed yep. to climb out. I rotated, it took off, it stuck right at 120. Yeah, going up my like gun. And yes, I've never gone up in an airplane like that on takeoff. Got it up 2,000 feet and started wiggling it around a little bit.
5: And I said, heck, that's all right with me. let him fly it a little bit. Well, the airplane flew beautifully. Uh, I said it just like it was. The airplane was amazing, and it was. I I expected it to be a rocket, and it was better than that. Mm -hmm. We come back around to land
7: cars were lined up oh, yeah. all along K42 with their lights on, All, it those, ske- <laughs> all, the, all those skeptics were out there. Uh, yeah.
6: Somebody called the radio station. Uh, yeah. yeah. Yes. In yes. fact, yes. a lot of the guys yes. were calling their families and tell them to get out yeah. there, and so the word spread quickly.
7: Well, they were lined up for miles yeah. down there, and it's a well, one of the best sites. When I was coming sites, around the
5: base leg, I could see everybody all down the
4: highway. One of the best sights I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It turned out that October 7th was also Hagen's wedding anniversary, so he had a double reason to celebrate. His wife, however, may have seen it a bit differently. I got a first flight and we also got dinner that night, Mm -hmm. so I didn't
7: have to take her out.
1: (laughs) I I have something to say real fast. I had no idea how, much, how similar you guys were in your style <laughs> of working on things and and pushing us as students. <laughs> I was mentored. <laughs> I can see that now. You know, it went right uh, through. <laughs> no idea.
0: <laughs> that man had a real impact on my life.
1: Yeah. And he did on mine.
0: I'm very grateful to him. You know, there would be no Celis if there wasn't a Belair. And there wouldn't be a lot of other things that I've had the wonderful privilege of working in. And you need to look at your, you're doing your science fair project and some of you are coming up with a little magnet or something, and that's great, that's a first step. Some of you guys are getting a little older ought to start thinking about systems, bringing systems together. If you have one piece of the puzzle no one can buy it, a light bulb without a socket Mm -hmm. is worthless. But if you can figure out the socket, the power, the whole piece, then you can change the world. This little jet literally changed the world, and it, uh, it's really exciting. We, we have one of the uh, jets, early jets, right now in our shop, and we're going through and printing it all up, and we're going to put it right out at the front door of IST mm-hmm. to remind mm-hmm. us. What our heritage is and what we can do. And when you think about this wonderful team that is learning science, learning engineering, learning mm-hmm. mathematics, and you know, many of you are doing well in other fields, which is just great too. But everything you learn goes with you, everything you learn is going to lift you into success in your missions. And you need to realize that. And it's going to make you want to get up and study, 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 make your goals. And then get up and study, 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 make your goals. A As a learning accelerator, you can put more knowledge in your brain in half the time than any learning system that anyone has ever discovered on this earth. Of course, you'll probably discover something better. I'm counting on it. But just be grateful for what you have and do not waste this opportunity to acquire this knowledge. No matter what you end up doing, if you end up becoming some guy named Mahomes and all you can do is throw (laughs) balls around, at least you'll have the technology and the math to figure out how to manage your money (laughs) and how to carry the rings around. By the way, um, we, we have one more thing we'd like to get some feedback on so you know how you send us in messages and we appreciate the messages coming in on 51 yes or no yes. but <laughs> we're thinking about having a crazy Ocellus outing on april 8th yeah. what is april 8th it's the, eclipse. the eclipse the eclipse of the sun and it turns out that just south of here one of those places where you can see the total eclipse. So we're thinking about planning an Acellus Academy. We haven't talked to the director yet.
1: <laughs> well, he's, he gets to find out right now. We're
0: thinking about planning a <laughs> Cellus Academy get-together right down and see the eclipse.
1: He's not And
0: everybody <laughs> that would like to, you know, uh, motor on down there, or bicycle, or however you travel, would be welcome to come and do it. And the rest of you we will take for on the trip with us by camera. How's that sound? Mm-hmm. I'd like to know how many of you would be interested in us planning a big Acellus Academy Eclipse watch. And I think, uh, Dr. John, the next one's in what, 20, 21 years for the next one. So this might be a good one to catch. <laughs> uh, anybody interested, at least we're gonna Talk about the eclipse and show it to everyone. I'm
1: interested.
0: You're interested?
1: Mm-hmm. Do I count? <laughs> whether I count or it not, bends, I'm still interested. depends on
0: whether you message. Okay? <laughs> so everybody, uh, study hard. Um, if, if you don't know your colors, it won't matter because this Super Bowl is going to be red against red. <laughs> <laughs> okay? But... Uh, Anyone who's in the Cellus Academy that would like to is given permission to cheer for the Chiefs. <laughs> okay? And we'll see you next time. Thank you so much.